Amen. Thank you, Zorin. Thank you, Vicky. Indeed, the deep love of Jesus is and must be overwhelming to our hearts and lives and to our souls. We're continuing in our series of building faith. We are almost done. Although I had this wild thought, even though I've been in chapter 13, this is my third message, I may go back through, just warning you, and look at all the times that Nehemiah said, remember me, O God, his prayers. And so, forewarned is forearmed. That may be next week. Um, I, yeah, it captivated me this week, and so I thought, okay, maybe I will. Nehemiah, you know, it's interesting what we allow in our lives, um, Often we tell ourselves this is or that isn't bad. It really isn't that bad at all. It won't affect us. Uh, you know, it's kind of like a diet that uh, that chocolate volcano, volcano cake. Ever had that? That's the one with cake and the come lava. Chocolate lava comes up inside. If you haven't had it, don't. It's not good for you. Uh, but there is milk in it. There's eggs. You know how we justify, rationalize. There's eggs, and I think I read an article over the medicinal use of chocolate. I'm not sure if that's a thing or not, but. I'm, I'm claiming it is now, okay? So, um, but we tell ourselves, we rationalize things, and um, that's when we get in trouble. We tell ourselves, this is okay. It's okay. It's not bad. Um, and then we're faced with looking at what God's Word says, and we find that to God, a thing that we have allowed in our lives is offensive. That's what we're going to talk about this evening. What happens then? You'll turn there, Nehemiah 13, you're probably already there, and we'll bow for prayer. Gracious God, by your mercy today, we thank you that you have allowed us an insight into your heart, to the great heart of God that not only is loving and compassionate and merciful, but a heart that is full of justice and righteousness and holiness. You care about the rightness of things, the effect on people that our sin has displayed off in our lives. It grieves you when we do sin. And so, God, I pray that you would work in our hearts and lives that we hear your word. Would we yield ourselves to it, that you might be glorified through us. In Jesus' name, amen. You'll recall the story. We're now on the point of Nehemiah, where he is... He has returned uh, from his time with Artaxerxes, the king. Now he's coming back after some time. We don't know exactly how long that is. And he has found trouble in Jerusalem. Uh, we saw that the temple itself was neglected. They stopped taking care of it because people had stopped giving tithes. So they, they, the Levites had to go and earn money for their families. They left the temple uncared for The Sabbath was profaned. It was not kept as holy. And now we come to a third problem. A third problem here in the life of Nehemiah, or rather the life of the people. Verse 23 details it for us, 23 and following. In those days I also saw that the Jews had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And for their children half spoke in the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak the language of Judah, but the language of his own people. Let's stop there for the problem. What had happened was that people were intermarrying with the people of the land. They had taken upon themselves to the, the Jews 
who have been brought back from captivity into the land of Israel, who are resettling the land, and particularly Jerusalem, they had begun to intermarry into the people around them. Uh, and incidentally, the result here, as we see in, in verse 24, is that children were being born who could not speak Hebrew at all. They couldn't speak the language of the Jews. And so it was troubling to Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah meekly and kindly admonished them. So I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, you shall not give your daughters to their sons nor take of their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Who is he speaking to? The parents, particularly the men. He contended with them. He fought with them. He pronounced curses upon them. And said, I want you to, yeah, pulled out their hair. And I guess the ones were running away he grabbed. I'm not sure. God doesn't tell us exactly. But notice, notice the fervor in which Nehemiah, how he is there to uphold the law of God. Now, Nehemiah, what is the big deal? Why is it this such a big thing? Well, you've got to remember, the issue of, is that at heart here is what God had demanded of His people. And we've discussed many times in the past that God had commanded for, for the Jewish people not to intermarry with those of the land around them. Not to take them as husbands or wives. And we've discussed many times before, but this was for spiritual reasons. Marrying one who had converted to Judaism was allowed. We remember Ruth. But why was it such a bad thing? Why was it that the people... Why? I mean, if that's just being... Um, we can think of all kinds of names that we might think today. Was it be, being racist? What, what was wrong? Why, why did he have this injunction? And for that, we need to go back to a previous Word of God. Leviticus 20, verse 2. The Torah. And you shall also say to the sons of Israel, any man from the sons of Israel or from the aliens sojourning in Israel who gives any of his offspring to Molech shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. Wow. Wow, that's pretty radical. Stone the one who gives any of his offspring to Molech. And if you look at that, that's, you know... What's so bad about that? Well, then you have to go back. The god, or one of the gods of Ammon, was this god of Molech. He was the god of the underworld, the god of death. And this god was particularly heinous. This is the one who, as part of the humans who set up this worship of this god, asked for parents to place their children into the fires of Molech. What a horrible thing. And so now you can begin to understand the injunction that the Lord has against these people, the lands around them. It's not that they're just not nice people or they're different from us. It's because they are following false gods. And in the following of false gods, even things so heinous as giving their children, sacrificing their children. But first and foremost, understand that God Himself commands and demands worship of Him only. 
only worship God. And so here in, in this, there is this command of not to give. And you say, well, why would people do this? Why would they do this to their children? Why does anyone who's, whose mind is corrupted and tainted by sin do anything that we do? But they would to appease the God of a child. Well, so we have that in our context and we understand um, if you go very, if you continue on in the passage, I don't have it up on the screen. It says, I will also set my face against that man and will cut him off from his people because he gives some of his offspring to Molech so as to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. Again, I will set my face against him in verse 5. And he continues on. The, the person who turns to mediums or spiritists to play the harlot after them, I will also set my face against that person and will cut him off from the people. You shall consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. And so Nehemiah brings up bad stuff. Now in this verse, then he brings it home. Verse 26 in chapter 13 of Nehemiah. Did not Solomon, the king of Israel... You remember Solomon, the one that had the wisdom above all wisdom, the one that had the favor of God, who, who God met with on two occasions? This Solomon, did he not sin in regard to these very things? Yet among the many nations, there was no king like him. And he was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. The blessing of God was poured out upon Solomon. Nevertheless, the foreign women caused even him to sin. I'll give you the example here in 1 Kings 11, 6-10. Solomon did that what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, on the mountains which is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. Solomon, okay, you're wise. What's wrong with you? You're setting up these... Okay, east of Jerusalem, what's that? Mount of Olives. Sorry, didn't give you time to answer. Mount of Olives. Okay, pretty, pretty neat place. Christ ascended from there, will return there. High place. Idol worship. Molech. Chemosh. Why would you do this, Solomon? Well, the answer is simple. Solomon... Married women of other nationalities who worship foreign gods, doing exactly what God had told the people of Israel not to do, and they led astray his heart so that he did these things. And so, because of Solomon and his sin, God comes to Solomon and says, Your kingdom will be divided. Your kingdom will be torn in two. It won't be in your lifetime, but in your son's lifetime, it will be torn in two. And from now on, because of the sin of Solomon, we see see a cascade of sins. One sin led to the other, to the other, to the other. To the ripping apart of the nation. To the conquering of the northern kingdom, then the southern kingdom. The conquering nations coming in because of the judgment of God, because the people would not repent. And it started right here. It started right there. A shrine built to Molech. A high place built to Molech. Verse 8 in the same passage uh, in, second, in 1 Kings. 
Um, thus he did, all for his, he did for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not observe what the Lord had commanded. See, Solomon had the command. Don't do this. And yet he did. And here was the beginning of this turmoil and strife. And so Nehemiah, in the context of this, comes back to 13 and says in verse 27, Do we then hear about you that you have committed all this great evil by acting unfaithfully against our God by marrying foreign women? They've come through the captivity. They saw God's judgment. God brings them back in the land. The temple's rebuilt. The wall's rebuilt. What glorious things that God has done. And so he goes away, and Nehemiah does. He comes back, and this is what he finds. You've done this. And he reminds them in the verses that this is what brought them down. And let's just compound that one more, one more uh, verse. Even one of the sons of Joiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sanballat, the Horonite. Remember Sanballat? Got the first couple chapters. Yeah, arch enemy. Along with Tobiah. Remember, Tobiah was in the early part of chapter 13. He was the one that took up residence in the temple by Eliashib. So I drove him away from me. So now you see not only Tobiah, but those associated with Samballot, even the son-in-law of the high priest, uh, to the son of the high priest, the son-in-law of Samballot. He drove away, drove him away. And then he prays, remember them. Sometimes he prays, often he prays, remember me, O God. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood in the Levites. It's almost like he's praying against them, isn't it? Verse 30 says, I purified them from everything foreign and appointed duties for the priests and the Levites, each in his task. I arranged for a supply of the wood appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O my God, for good. And thus ends the story of Nehemiah. You know, and I had wished it had had ended with something nice and uplifting. Ah, yes, they did wonderfully and great. But it ends with Nehemiah as an agent for God judging the people. And doing this. So you read a passage like that and say, well, that was then. We're under the cross now. Something, these things have changed. What? I can't learn anything from this, can I? And the Word of God comes home to us on this. Because remember Paul said, so the, the, the Scriptures were given to us. In old times, the Scriptures were given to us for our example, for our instruction, for our learning from this. And here we have. So what do we learn? From Nehemiah, number one, identify. Number one, identify the sin in your life. You notice that Nehemiah didn't come and say, you know, I think something's wrong here. I'm not sure what it is. Can you figure it out for me? He named it. You know, you and I must be that specific with the sin in my life, the sin in your life. We must be that specific in the sin. We can't give it nice names. I made a mistake. You sinned. It was an accident. You intentionally sinned against God. And often we don't want to see 
that are thing, the things that we do. And often we don't take the time to look. I, I'm, as you know me, <laughs> most of you do, I'm not really big on introspection because that's just not me. But here's a good time to be introspective. It starts with a prayer. It says, God, would you identify the things in my life? The foreign things in my life, as it were, that are causing me to break fellowship with you. Number one, identify sin. We must be we must be so willing to do this, to not put it off and say, hey, well, that's for some other time. That's from, for some other person. That's for the super spiritual fill in the blank. Identify the sin. But secondly, we see here, learn from past sins and don't return to them. Now, as, as self-righteous as we are, we say, Solomon, how dare you? People of Israel, how dare you? How could you do such a thing? Because we would never return to past sins, would we? And then there's a little tweak in our heart that says, yeah, yes, you have. Work of the Holy Spirit. You understand when you name and identify the sin in your life, whatever it is, I'm going to be very general here because I don't know where you are. When you learn to identify what you're susceptible to and understand that we, sin works in different ways for us and, and different people. What may be something that is a temptation in your life may not be in somebody else's life. And you can't say, well, my sin's good and your sin's bad. Whatever convoluted thinking that is. Learn from your past sins. Learn from them. And then set up safeguards. Remember last week? Set up safeguards in your life not to return from them, to them. And it's, it's, it's very simple for us. And, and Nehemiah tells us this. I, it, let's put it in things that we can understand. Uh, my brother is nine years older than I. Okay? And it wasn't, you know, my father says I didn't get a spanking, but I think I remember him. And it wasn't that I was just naturally a good kid, but I looked at what my brother did. I love him. He's a great guy. And I said, that didn't turn out so well. I'm not going to do that. You know, I'd like to sit for a while. Oh. Um, but do you know what? In an odd way, a humorous example, but we have to understand that we have to learn from the past. Sometimes it's learning from others, but often it's learning from myself. I saw what happened when I sinned and the result, the consequences of my sin. Does God forgive? Absolutely. Does God cleanse? Absolutely. Sometimes we live with scar tissue from that. So learn from the past. Don't return to them. Number three, be radical when removing or excising sin from your life. I like the word excising because it makes me think I, like I'm a medical professional, which I'm not. You got something that the doctor needs to cut off? They're generally not tentative in doing that. Well, let's just take it around the edges. If you have a serious disease or like cancer, they're pretty radical, aren't they? To, to our good, often. You know what? We've got to have that same mentality when sin is in our life. Be radical about that. Okay? Now, what I'm not asking you to do is... is <laughs> um, you may not take Nehemiah's text. You can pull your own hair. How's that? Okay? You can do the, 
but be radical. I think that the lesson is that, is that I'm not, I, I shouldn't coddle myself when it comes to admitting the sins of my life and confessing to Christ. I should not give myself a pass. I must be willing to radically excise that from my life because I want the fellowship to, with Christ to be unhindered. And so I gladly give up whatever it is, remove it from my life to make sure that fellowship is unhindered. Don't let yourself off the hook. Don't give yourself a pass on this. It could be difficult. I understand. And people may not understand the stands that you take in your own personal life and walk because you're guarding yourself from from sin. But do it. Be holy as God is holy. Don't allow emotional attachments to sin to keep you from acting. This is why in the church body we have church discipline to be on our guard and to uh, to, to take the necessary steps when sin enters into the body of Christ and individuals. Church discipline is necessary. The goal of church discipline is re- restoration. We want the brother and sister of Christ to, to confess and be restored to fellowship in the body, but there are times when a church has to come and perform church discipline and say, say you're not acting like a believer. And they come and you, you talk, and Matthew 18 has you know, one, two, before the body 1 Corinthians to 2 Corinthians is a wonderful example of this, where such gross sin that, that, that Paul says it's not even talked about you know, with, um, with unbelievers, but it's there in your church. You have allowed it. They took the necessary steps, and then you have the joy of 2 Corinthians where it seems that, that that person is rejoining the body of Christ in fellowship, having confessed, and now Paul is saying, welcome him back. Okay, he has confessed his sin, receiving back into the, to the brotherhood, uh, the family of God, encourage and support. But be radical. We can't be easy on these things. Familiar passage, Romans 8, 11. For, you, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. The flesh must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now understand... The putting to death the deeds of the body. That's radical in a sense. You will live. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. But you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The child of God. The one who calls Father Abba. That one must be serious about his sin. About her sin. They must be willing to put to death those areas in the life that causes us to, to lose fellowship with Christ. Radically working there. The rejoining of the, the fellowship where I can call Father Abba. One other lesson we need to remember is that not only is be radical in removing sin from your life, but the longer sin is not dealt with, the more pain is caused, or more pain it causes. The longer the sin is not dealt with, the more pain is caused. What do you say? Well, let's go back to our text here. And if you read in various portions of Nehemiah earlier on, and now here again, Because they had sinned and joined with 
those who were foreign because God mandated they not bring in the spiritual plague into the body, into the fellowship, the congregation of Israel. Families were split up. That's not right. That's not right. Why split up a family? What about the children? Because of sin, great pain is caused. See, we don't sin in a vacuum. We don't sin and it doesn't it didn't affect me, or it just affects me only. We try, well, I can take it, you know. It affects those around us, those we love. It affects affects them. It causes pain until we get to the root level that we see our sin as God sees it. And that we realize that when we do so, not only do it does it leave scars upon our life, but it causes great pain. We begin to see the seriousness of allowing things in our lives that is not according to God's Word. Until we get to that point, we're going to be causing pain for a lot of people. And while that is not the primary consideration, holiness of God is, ooh, that's a, that's a horrible secondary cause, a result of sin. One of the things that keeps me from sinning is the understanding of the impact it is on my wife and my family, the impact it is on my church. God's given me a responsibility as an under-shepherd. Boy. That's something not to play around with. And that's for each one of us. Each one of us is called in the name of Christ. I don't affect anybody. Yes, you do. You've got a sphere of influence much larger than you think. Friends, family, people you come in contact with. People who know that you're a Christian but really don't know you as well, but they know what your profession is. Pain caused. Nehemiah teaches us in very vivid ways that we cannot tolerate sin in our life. And he really teaches us this. And boil it down to it's a wordy sentence, but you'll get it. Since God is a holy God and a holy God, you must do the painful work to rid yourself of sin. Understanding, of course, it is God who forgives sin. But you and I must be willing to endure the pain for the outcome of fellowship with Christ, of restoration with a body of believers, of an impact of a testimony of a life that says, I'm a follower of Christ. Jesus has saved me. It's real. And so we've got to be ruthless with this. We can't. We can't play around with it. I don't, I don't know about you, but th- a passage like this is very sobering to me. It's incredibly sobering because we, we do know the, the tension of our own hearts, don't we? The hymn writer who or penned the words, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. 
Here's my heart, O take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. That hymn writer was speaking out of a truth of his heart and life and taking words to a paper that probably expressed his heart. The story is told of another who came to an inn back in the day. And all night, another person staying in the end that was heard from that room, um, just great cries of anguish. Great cries of anguish. Next morning, uh, the traveler went to the, the innkeeper and said, what, what's going on? Is someone in pain? Is What's going on? And he named the name of this hymn writer who had been ravaged by sin had, as he had wandered from, from God. There is within us the desire to go our own way. To wander. And it's only by the grace of God and a resolve to be real and radical in the work of getting rid of our sin. It's only by that that we stay in fellowship with God. See, God's grace is overwhelming and incredible. But when we, when we, we lose sight of that, we lose sight of Christ's work on the cross for us, it's easy to say, hmm, it's just so much stuff. I can allow that in my life. It's okay. God is a holy God. If you're a follower of Christ, be brave. As we've said often, in every command that God gives, He gives the power to obey. Be obedient this evening. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, I thank you for the grace you have shown in our hearts and lives. We do not deserve it. And here we see the mercy that you have shown to us. When we did deserve punishment, you gave us release. We deserve the chains of eternal suffering. You, by Christ, you have given us the hope of eternal life through Jesus. And so, God, we who name the name of Christ, may we not be gentle with those things that would keep us from fellowship with you. Would you give us the bravery and the power and the strength to live a life that is dedicated to you? May we not be gentle with our sin. Father, by your grace, may we rid ourselves of it each day so that people see Jesus through us. Thank you for who you are and for your great work. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.